0: And I think that when I read a book, I'm looking for ways to connect. I'm looking for Mm -hmm. ways to connect with the characters, to connect with the setting. And I'm also always looking for ways that I can connect this book to the perfect reader.
1: everyone, and welcome to The Reader's Heart, a podcast of conversations with authors and illustrators about children's literature as a vehicle for empathy and joy in a dark world. The Reader's Heart is rooted in the belief that our world needs the magic of children's literature now more than ever. So let's get started. This week, my guest is John Shu, who many of you probably know as Mr. Shu online. John has made a career out of advocating for the people and things he cares about most, kids, books, and the people who connect them. He is the children's librarian for Book Bookalicious and the author of several picture books, including This is a School, illustrated by Veronica Miller-Jameson. This is a Story, illustrated by Caldecott Honor artist Lauren Castillo and his forthcoming middle grade debut, Louder Than Hunger, as well as the professional book, The Gift of Story, Exploring the Effective Side of the Reading Life. John is also my longtime friend, and I am delighted to have him as our first guest on The Reader's Heart. That said, be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for information about where to find John's books, along with a discount code from our friends at Bookalicious. Hi, John. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Jennifer Lagarde.
0: I'm always happy to be with you. You always bring so much joy and sunshine to my day.
1: Oh, you are the sweetest. And you know, I guess I should probably start this episode with a disclaimer. You and I have been friends, like in real life, friends for a really long time. So we could talk about anything, right?
0: (laughs) A very long time. I think we met the first time in person in 2012, I want to say. Somewhere around there.
1: You have such a better memory than I do. If we were not talking about this on a podcast, I know you would look up like the exact moment (laughs) on your phone, right? From when we met. But nonetheless, this makes this conversation all the more joyful for me. So thank you for agreeing to do it. No, thank you. (laughs) I, you know, this podcast is called The Reader's Heart because I'm really interested and fascinated by the way that we connect a reader's heart to story and the way that story affects and expands our reader's heart, you know, makes us who we are as a human and informs how we walk through the world. So I like to start every episode by kind of unpacking you, your reader's heart. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if you might just start by telling us who you are as a reader, that could include how you became a reader or what you like to read now, just talk to us about John Chu, the reader.
0: Well, one, I love the name of your podcast, and two, you have a very big heart, and you and I both think about the heart so much. And I think we mm-hmm. approach books with the heart in mind. And I think that when I read a book, I'm looking for ways to connect. I'm looking for mm-hmm. ways to connect with the characters, to connect with the setting. And I'm also always looking for ways that I can connect this book to the perfect reader. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go all the way back to the year 1986, when I really do think I became a reader. My grandma was my best friend all through my childhood. My grandma is a character in a book that I wrote called Louder Than Hunger. And my grandma is really the reason I'm a reader today because every Saturday, my grandma and I would go to the grocery store. We'd actually go to multiple grocery stores Mm -hmm. because my grandma loved coupons. And if she had a coupon, she was going to go use that coupon, even if she already had 50k cans of olives. If there was a coupon for olives, she had to buy that 51st can. I'm going
1: to pause this for just to say, this is about the 150th time that I wish I'd gotten to meet your Grandma Ruth. Every time Uh, you talk about her, I want to meet her even more. Anyway, keep going.
0: thank you. And I love that you know her name is Grandma Ruth, even Mm -hmm. though I didn't say it. Um, And so my grandma and I would go to multiple grocery stores and I always loved on Saturday when we we would go to Jewel Osco, which I believe Jewel Osco is Only in Illinois and around the country, I think they're called Albertsons. But Mm -hmm. anyway, every Saturday we would go to the Jewel Oscar with my grandma's big coupon container that was red (laughs) because my grandma's favorite color was red. And I always loved going to Jewel Oscar because I knew I'd always get a new book because Mm -hmm. every Saturday I could get a new book from the Walt Disney collection, and they would do multiple like um, collections of them. So yeah. you could get every volume in, let's say, set one, set two, set three. It was like encyclopedias back in the day. And so my, my favorite one that I got in the year 1986 is called Goofy's Big Race. And I don't think I could actually read it on my own at the time, but my mm-hmm. grandma had read it to me so many times that it was memorized, and it was tattooed on my heart. And Mm -hmm. I was a kid who was very anxious, and I was a kid that loved to rush through things. And there's a refrain in the book that's something like, slow and steady, steady and slow, that's the way we always go. And my grandma would always remind me of that when Johnny, Mm -hmm. little Johnny Schumacher, was rushing (laughs) way too fast. So so that was kind of the gateway. And then as a kid, my aunt owned a video store. Yes, a video store. Or you would go and you would get a VHS and you would bring it home to your house. And because she owned that video store, I had unlimited access to movies. And so many of those early books that I fell in love with were based on favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that I love novelizations such as Oliver and Company so much was because I approached them with familiar characters and familiar settings. So I'm a reader today because of Grandma Ruth, because of Jewel Asco, because of movies and novelizations Mm -hmm. and I connected with all of them which goes back to I as a reader and one who always thinks of the word connect to connect connection which I know is multiple words. (laughs) I
1: feel like I have so many things to say in response to your answer there but one of the things I feel like I, I just have to get out of my heart right now is that even though I'm a about 150 years older than you are. I can so (laughs) relate to... Finding books at the grocery store. I feel like that was uh, that's indicative of a certain era. You know, there's not a lot of books at the grocery store anymore. So mm-hmm. I really that brought me back to a specific place. And the idea of first connecting with books that are adaptations of something else, whether that's mm-hmm. a film or you know, you and I have talked about like Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Chicken Soup. but Chicken Soup and Rice with yeah, Rice. I but, oh, yeah, yes. I
0: corrected it. In my head. Different book. Yeah. Oh
1: the <laughs> price and and how music sometimes has been adapted or connected with story in a way that makes those easy entry points to books um, that being said I just like I don't know if there's a question attached to this so much as I feel like it's such a good example of how sometimes as adults, we, you know, like sort of look down our noses as, at these adaptations or these novelizations as though they're not quality literature. And I, people can't see, but I'm putting that in air quotes right now, when anything that connects a kid's heart to story and to reading is the right book for them at yeah. that time.
0: Thank you. And I think it's why I really love talking about those books, Jennifer, exactly Mm -hmm. what you said, that, you know, I am a reader today because of them. Let's not judge books in the way that that so many of us do. Yeah. So thank you.
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, and let me ask you then. Okay, so this is a... To me, a good transition in from you know John as a reader to John as a writer. We trust me. We are going to get to louder than hunger. I really want to talk about that book, but I'd like to start by talking about your picture books first, if that's okay. Oh yes, um, because I know that for you, um, picture books as an art form are real. I'm making an assumption here, but from okay. my own observation of your books, it feels like picture books as an art form are like is inextricably linked with poetry. I feel mm. like the poet poetry is a huge part of your picture book making process yeah. and your uh, other writing as well and I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, that connection, you know mm. why poetry matters so much in your picture books and
0: yeah. well and, and thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, for supporting This Is A School and This Is A Story. Yay! And you were the very first person to put the poem of This Is A School back together the way it looked yes. in the beginning. Can, can you, I know I'm going to be switching it over to you, but can you just talk a little bit sure. about that? Because that will help like, springboard sure. everything.
1: Yes, yeah. okay. So I, you know, this is like gonna sound like name-dropping a little bit like humble bragging or whatever, but I was very fortunate to see an early copy of This Is a School. And when um I saw it, the thing I wanted to do, I found myself just a few pages in thinking, I want to know what this looks like as a poem. I want to understand the line breaks. I want to understand the punctuation. I want to see what this looks like as a whole. And so I stopped and went back through and started to write it out the way I thought the stanzas mm-hmm. should look. And as a former English teacher, John, I mean, you and I have had this conversation before, but I, my heart just exploded with English teacher love because <laughs> I saw the parallel structure. I saw the intentional use of punctuation. I saw things that I would want my own students from when I was a teacher to be able to appreciate and also to recognize how authors, you know, choose those things intentionally as a part of the meaning making. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there was like a thrill in (laughs) taking what was deconstructed as a picture book and putting it back together. And I remember sending it to you and then you showing me your draft (laughs) of the poem. And it was so exciting. Yeah.
0: And you got it right. Yeah. This is a school, I believe is a six stanza poem. It Mm -hmm. may be a seven stanza poem because in revision it changed. But often when I say to kids, this is a school as a poem. This is a story as a poem. They say, no, it's not. And I'm able to talk to them and show them what it looks like when you put it back together um for a long time and still to this day i guess i feel a little strange calling myself a poet even though all of my books except the gift of story are poetry Mm -hmm. i think it's because of the way that i look at the world and i think it's the way like the cadence of my voice and i think as as a teacher, I think, through poetry, if that makes sense. And so it made complete sense when I wrote This is a School and wrote This is a Story, that they needed to be odes, that they needed to be poems, because Mm -hmm. it allowed me to figure out the structure of what this very spare... Poem, yeah. like I, wasn't, I didn't know it was a poem in the beginning. Um, this, the, the, These really abstract ideas would look like, and, and I was able to show them best through poetry. I
1: have to yeah, wonder, I didn't John. answer that
0: very well. No, <laughs>
1: you did. You answered it perfectly. It makes me, you know, a, one of the hallmarks of a great answer is that it leads you to more questions. And so yeah. it did. It led me to <laughs> another question. It makes mm-hmm. me wonder, because for me, one of the things that separates poetry from prose is the need for a poem to be read aloud. Poems are an auditory experience as much as they are a visual experience. And so I wonder, you know, you say, oh, I'm hesitant to call myself a a poet. (laughs) And maybe that's a little heavy of a word. But I can't help but think that maybe the read aloud experiences that you had as a kid shaped your, you know, desire as a writer to create works that sound as beautiful as they yeah. look.
0: I, I think it's really and what I said a little bit ago about my teacher voice, I've never said that aloud or thought that. Mm. I think it's, it is because of reading aloud but I think it's because of reading aloud to so many kids as a third grade teacher and mm. fourth grade teacher and school librarian that the read aloud was always my favorite part of the day yeah. and not as much as a classroom teacher but as a teacher librarian I was very selective about the read alouds mm-hmm. because I I knew I had to read it aloud over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I I knew I had to select a different type of book, not being the homeroom teacher where I wasn't with them all of the time. And so Mm -hmm. I think I developed a different teacher voice by being a school librarian, which really has become my author voice, my writer voice. Do
1: you think about, ever think about how your books? You know, like your books as read alouds, because you know, I mean, plenty of teachers and parents pick up your books and read them aloud to their children. Yeah, and I
0: read, and when I'm revising, I'm reading aloud over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, today I've spent the whole day revising a book, and there are two stanzas that I cannot get right (laughs) Mm. because I mean, I could have just moved on, but I read it aloud over and over, and I hear that there's something off, there's a beat off, and eventually, probably when I'm in the shower, I'll be able to to figure it out. Yeah. it did happen in the shower this morning where i as soon as i got out of the shower (laughs) i picked up my phone and i emailed myself something that wouldn't have made sense to anybody but me Mm -hmm. and i think if i had waited more than an hour to go back to the story it would not have made sense to me an hour later but it was because i was repeating the story over and over again in my my head yeah And you'll be like, oh, that beat is off. That word Mm -hmm. is off. Change it to this word. And then it it works.
1: I love that. I love that. No, I love it. (laughs) That's one of the things, I mean, you know, I want to talk about the effective side of your stories. But before we do that, I just want to share my appreciation one more time for the musicality of your stories. Because I think there's (laughs) an aspect of that that um, makes it, lends your books To read aloud and to becoming books of a kid's heart because you can read them aloud over and over again. There's just that there's an auditory beauty to that that I really appreciate. But thank you. but I also
0: want to say Lauren Castillo and Veronica Miller Jameson who create the real story. I mean, it's such magic. Our words and their art together. I think is what creates the magic. I'm so so grateful for both of them.
1: Uh, the illustrations in both are phenomenal, and I agree with you, and, and certainly not discounting their work in any way. Um, but, you know, they also have to have something to work from. Exactly. You know, your <laughs> your your words have to paint a picture in their mind to work from. Um, and that being said, I mean, this is a good way for us to transition to the effective part of your stories, because one of the things that I've noticed as a, a common thread throughout all of your books, including The Gifted Story, is this idea of connection, this Mm -hmm. idea of um, not just story, but experiences and just walking through the world, how those things connect us to one another. Um, And I just wonder if you might talk a little bit about why the idea of connection is so important to you. Yeah,
0: I think it's so important to me because I have found my way to myself and Mm -hmm. my way home through stories and through musicals and through movies. And the things that the movies and the musicals and the books that I always go back to are because Mm -hmm. of how I connected to the story. But it's usually a a specific character who I've connected to. So I think just naturally in all of my work, I'm always asking myself questions that relate to connection. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I connect to this? How are others going to connect to it? How is this going to lead to further connection? And I think I've been avoiding... (laughs) this next thing just a little bit because i do think i became more aware of my need for connection and more in love with the word connection because of Kate Camillo. To
1: our listeners, what you may not know is John and I have an, a running joke about how often John mentions Kate Camillo in every <laughs> single conver- conversation. So the fact that you have held out for 15 minutes is amazing. So well done.
0: Well, I think if in The <laughs> Gift of Story, I write something like, uh, if a PhD was given in connection, yeah. Kate Camillo would get it. Yeah. I mean really in the chapter in the Gift of Story about Connection, I write about KC Camillo mm-hmm. the most. Like I saved everything for that yeah. connection chapter. It was always there. But through her work, I, I realized right away that is a common thread there too. Mm-hmm. Connection in the heart. And of course when she was national ambassador for young people's literature, her platform with stories connect us. And I read her speech so many times and mm-hmm. I I I just found so much hope and solace in it. Yeah. I, I know it was already there, but KC Camilla really helped me realize how, how important it is to me and that, seeing how important it is to
1: kids. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that you're hitting on something so important here, John, and that I see in your books too, is that, you know, as we record this, the time that we're living in right now, I feel like people who live long after us will be studying the, the years that we're living in right now. And be able to see perhaps with the benefit of hindsight the ways in which um, the severing of connection and division and sort of Mm -hmm. a empathy vacuum have harmed us. And in my view, children's literature and your stories Mm -hmm. I count among that are part of the antidote for that, part of the bomb for that right now. Um, and I see it in your picture books, but gosh, do I see it in Louder Than Hunger, oh, which you. I want us to talk about next. Now, Please. we're recording this at the beginning of 2024, and the book is not out until towards the end of March. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So, Mar- well, as of today, because the, the date has changed, it comes out March 19th,
2: 2024.
1: Mm. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I want to give you a chance to share what that Mm -hmm. book is about for readers who probably excuse me listeners who probably haven't read it yet. I've had the opportunity to read it, but I want you to share what you how you describe it
0: to readers. Well I would love to talk about Louder Than Hunger. Um, So Louder Than Hunger takes place in the year nineteen ninety six. So I think we can call that historical fiction. Oh
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh kill me now. Go ahead.
0: the, the, The novel in verse for middle school readers and above and the main character's name is jake edward stacy and Mm -hmm. my legal name is john edward schumacher and Mm. so jake and i have the same initials because Jake and I, in many ways, are the same person. He is me, and I am him. But when I sat down to write Louder Than Hunger, I knew right away that I didn't want to write a memoir because I didn't want to tell 100% the truth, sure. that I wanted to be able to change the timeline, and I also wanted to protect some people in my own life. Sure. And so the book, in my opinion, is told in four acts. And in act one, we meet Jake Stacy in November of his eighth grade year, And Mm -hmm. he is spiraling out of control. And there's a voice inside of his head that's getting louder and louder and louder. And I know, Jennifer, you love RuPaul. And RuPaul would call it an inner saboteur. And the the inner saboteur, the voice, is telling Jake that he is no good, that he doesn't deserve to live, that he'd be better off if he left this world. And
1: Mm -hmm. Jake
0: starts listening to that voice um, more and more and more. And the more he listens to the voice, the less he eats and the smaller he becomes. Comes, and the smaller he becomes, the bigger he feels. And yeah. thanks to someone at a retirement home called Tinley Terrace, where he volunteers, they call his mother because they're very, very worried about yeah. him. And I think mom is worried too, but mom is dealing with so much that, if, that I think mom, and this is off the page, mom feels this is just one more thing that I have to deal with. And so in act two, Jake is hospitalized and he's very, very angry. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to admit that he has anorexia nervosa and depression and obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety. But through refeeding and through a very patient psychiatrist named Dr. Parker and counselor Ruth, who's named after my grandma, uh, he starts to make some progress, but it's not a Hallmark movie. And there's lots of, of trials and tribulations that he experiences at Whispering Pines and he he starts to get better then he goes back. And so um, mm-hmm. in act three, he totally fails. And then in act four is when he starts to allow himself to heal. So Jake's story is, is based on my own experiences. And I wrote Jake's story because I hope that it will help other people see that there's a way through. Uh, I've realized the more and more I talk about this book that we all have a voice in our head to a degree, and how we listen to it and how we talk back to it and and how we overcome it um, is is different for everyone. But I'm grateful that I wrote Louder Than Hunger in this time in, in my life, and I hope it helps kids.
1: I'm really grateful for so, it, hopefully it's the
0: first time my book talked it in that way. So. You,
1: well done. You did a great job. Um, you know, one of the things that's been sort of an unexpected consequence of this podcast is that I've been able to see some sort of common themes that have emerged. And one of the themes is this idea of children's literature as a map, a guide, that doesn't show kids the way to navigate the world, but can show them yeah. a way to yeah, navigate some tough, you know, challenging moments in their life. And one of the things I love about Louder Than Hunger is the way that you included um, different tools and strategies um, that the therapists in the book and the doctors Mm -hmm. in the book use to support Jake, you know, and I wondered if you just might talk a little bit about that. I love this normalization of therapy and those strategies and tools.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure that every strategy, every exercise that Jake does in the book, I did. Mm -hmm. So I was hospitalized for two years. I didn't want Jake to be in the hospital for two years. He's in the hospital for one year. Um, But the the art therapy that I went through and and Jake has Pedro, who he really thinks, understands him. I think Mm -hmm. the character that Jake identifies with the most in the facility is Pedro. And he does a lot of exercises to help um, Jake see inside of himself in a better way. yeah, I don't know specifically, I'm there, I'm blanking on some of them, but sitting in a circle and opening up your feelings yeah. and writing I am poems and, and just lots of exercises to help you try to figure out like why you're starving yourself.
1: Yeah. And I remember there were like yeah. schedules of the day. Oh, yeah, the that, schedules, yeah. And then there were also feelings charts. And yeah, you know, I mean, th-
0: yeah that was Go the first ahead. thing when I was hospitalized, they handed me three things. They yeah. handed me a notebook. They handed me. Uh, Well, yeah, it was a great journal. They handed me a folder that had a bunch yeah. of information about um, Linden Oaks was the real name of the place where I was. And then three, it was a feelings chart. And I remember thinking, I'm going to rip up all of these things. There's yeah. no way that yeah. I am participating in any of this. And within a few moments, I left the room and I went to the nurse's station. And they said, a horrible mistake has been made. You must let me leave. You must call my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was like, okay, sweetie. You know, She was really, really Nurse Nancy was her name. She was Really, really calm and patient. But she obviously knew I needed to be there and I needed yeah. to be there. But I just remember thinking, I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to listen to you people. But I'm so grateful I did and that once I was able and once I was willing to listen to the advice that they had to offer and the strategies that they they offered, I was able to start utilizing them mm-hmm. because it came a point in my treatment, Jennifer, where they said, "There's nothing else we can do. John mm-hmm. is just refusing to implement anything. Like he, it needs to be hospitalized because if he goes home, he'll probably die. But there's mm-hmm. really nothing else that we can do for him here."
1: That is yeah. like is so amazing to hear you talk about that because I think one of the things that's frustrating as an adult reader of books like Louder Than Hunger is that Jake responds to all of the things that you're talking about in the exact way that a kid would respond to them in the exact way that you're talking about. And as an adult who maybe has been through some stuff, you just are like, Jake, wake up, you need help. You know, you want them, (laughs) you want to save them from some of, you know, some of that trauma. But it's so important for them to go through that on the page because that's the way that we build a map for them. That's the way that we show them that there's a way out of this.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to protect him so often. And I'd be like, I'm sorry,
2: Jake, I've got to
0: hurt you just one more
2: time. Like just one
0: more time because it was true. And it was really so easy to write because Mm -hmm. I just I went right back in my head to being hospitalized for that long. And I've come to the other side. But it's always, all those memories are always there. And I always know that I could fall back into it. And I I, I don't want to because I have so many strategies as an adult in place in order for that not to happen. But it's really easy to go back to those thoughts because yeah, they're they're like tattooed
1: on me. Well, this is a perfect opportunity for us to circle back then to this idea of connection because I have to imagine that that even though you haven't been able to have that experience yet, that in the writing process and after, after you've sent it off to be printed and all of that, you must be thinking about the readers
2: who, you know,
1: yeah, Yeah. who will end up being able to connect with Jake's story. And I just, you know, I I wonder if you might talk just a little bit about what you're hoping will come out of that experience for them.
0: Yeah. I I resisted telling Jake's story for a long time. I want to say, Eight years ago, my agent Molly O'Neill and I had a a conversation about, like, what stories are inside of Don 2? And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, I'd love to write a a book about libraries and school librarians and and all in school, which, I, which I've which i now done. Uh, but in that meeting, I, I told her a little bit about my past, but I said, I'm not ready to write about that yet. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think I emotionally could have. I think it would have been harmful to me, but it was always there. Like one day you could tell a story about your past. And at the time, I didn't know if it would be memoir or if it would be in you know, a novel or, or a hybrid or a novel in verse, but but it was always there. But the reason that I kept resisting it was because when I was pretty sure that I had an eating disorder, like probably a year before I actually was hospitalized and clinically defined it was clinically diagnosed, I would spend a lot of time at the library. And Mm -hmm. I was good then at looking up keyword searches. And I I was always able to find the information I was looking for. And I won't even name all the things that I found because they were so harmful to me. And every article I would find and every book that I would read would simply be a how-to manual. And it's what I would do is try out those behaviors and is what those books and that media did was teach me how to have a better eating disorder. Because really that's what people with anorexia nervosa, in my opinion, are doing. They're trying to be the best because they're often Mm -hmm. perfectionists. And in order to be the best at anorexia, you have to be dead. And so the more things you read to try to get to that goal, the sicker you get. And so I was so afraid that if I told my story that I would write in mm. something that would do the harm to them that it did to me when I was a kid. And so something that I always thought about, and thankfully I had already written The Gift of Story before I wrote Louder Than Hunger, and I think writing The Gift of Story gave me the skills to write The Gift of Story, because I was able to like embed a lot of what I learned yes. from writing that book, was that books can be the perfect prescriptions so let us know we're going to be okay and, and i know you've heard mm-hmm. me say that before but that was always the guiding light that if you're going if this if you put this thing in I know that that kid sitting at the Tinley Park Library that finds your book because they're trying to be better at their eating disorder is going to get better. Therefore, it it doesn't belong. And so my hope is that when a kid reads louder than hunger, they don't wish in any way to have an eating disorder. And in any way are they being taught? how to have one. So so that's my, my biggest goal. And that also that people who have a family member who's struggling with an eating disorder better understand mm-hmm. what's going on inside of their head. Now, again, this is one person's experience with anorexia nervosa, but I spent so long hospitalized with people,
2: yeah. you know.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the things, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, who might be wondering, "Gosh, this sounds like a heavy topic. Maybe this yeah. is more so of like a, No, or yeah. you know, or yeah, maybe yeah. this is more of a YA book than really a middle grade or middle school." One of the things that I think firmly situates this in a, as as a middle school book for like readers grade six and up is the fact that a none of that specific trauma the trauma of the eating disorder itself is mm-hmm. on the page yeah, we no. know you know we know that this is that this is something Jake is going through but there's no description of it in a way mm-hmm. that could either be scary or upsetting to a kid or as you said provide them with a user's manual right yeah. but also there's very much light at the end of Jake's tunnel mm-hmm. and so i think that that situates it in a category that makes it not only makes it heavy, but heavy in a way that's easy for kids to carry because there's so much support built in oh, to you. the story itself.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why, I mean, I, I didn't realize how intentionally I was doing. I mean, I knew, I, I knew that I was trying to keep things out, but now when I look at the whole book, I see how I was taking care of the reader
2: because you just said I was yes. working
0: really hard. I was, I was protecting the reader. Like yes. John school school librarian was always there. And yeah. I put the school librarian into me into a variety of characters too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I could say some things that like John, you know, 40 in his 40s John would, would have said to little Jake.
1: Well, listen, my friend, I feel like we could talk about this forever. This could be like a six-hour podcast episode (laughs) because I just love having this conversation and unpacking all of this with you. But I want to be respectful of your time and and wrap up our conversation today by taking a page from the book of John Shue and (laughs) asking you what you wish I had asked you. Like, is there something you were hoping we would get to talk about today that we haven't yet?
0: So I wish you'd asked me, John Chu, what movie are you excited to see in the movie theater? And I would have said Mean Girls, the musical. Oh and unlike many people who went to the movie theater to already see it, I know it's a musical. I know <laughs> that it's not just a remake of the original movie. So Mean Girls is one of my favorite musicals. I saw it like yes. eight times on Broadway. And I, as soon as I finish a revision I'm working on, I will go. So yes, That will be your reward,
1: right? That's yeah. your revision I, reward? I
0: still, just like when I was a kid, I still try to watch as many movies as possible. And for a while, I... I told myself that I was not allowed to watch TV and I was not allowed to watch movies because I should be reading. And I realized right away that narrative is so so harmful. And it's unfortunately out there a lot. I used to hear it in a variety of library circles. Mm -hmm. And I say now I love story in all forms. right? And I connect with RuPaul's Drag Race every Friday.
1: I know, because I text you to remind you to do it, right? I I love that. I feel like that's a perfect way to sort of wrap up our conversation, because I think, you know, those things that we tell ourselves, those constraints or rules that we impose upon ourselves as readers or that we may unintentionally or intentionally impose upon kids are so help are so not helpful they're harmful um and i appreciate the way that your books and your storytelling both outside of your books your storytelling in your live presentations your storytelling online etc are all about tossing away those rules and allowing the connect the story to connect us in ways that we need so much right now
0: Ditto, 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 ditto to you. You are the best, Jennifer Lagarde.
1: Oh, second best next to you. I'm so grateful you're in the world doing this work, John. I'm going to look forward to whatever comes next um, from you. And in the meantime, I'm real excited about connecting our listeners with your books. We'll be looking out for Louder Than Hunger at the end of March.
2: Thank
0: you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, happy reading.
1: Happy reading. Happy reading. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Reader's Heart. More information about this episode, including ways to connect with John, as well as a discount code for purchasing his books through Bookalicious, are available at librarygirl.net. This podcast was created, written, and recorded by me, Jennifer Lagarde, all rights reserved. Our theme music was created by Comma Media and is available for free at Pixabay's royalty-free music repository. And the beautiful logo for our show was created by author-illustrator Karina Lukin. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us a five-star review at wherever you listen to podcasts. Believe it or not, this small steps makes a big difference in helping the reader's heart find its audience. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy reading, y'all.